This is the eighth chapter of Percy Jackson and the Sea of Monsters. We board the Princess Andromeda. I was staring at the waves when Annabeth and Tyson found me. What's going on? Annabeth asked. I heard you calling for help. Me too, Tyson said. I heard you yell. Bad things are attacking. I didn't call you guys, I said. I'm fine. But then who? Annabeth noticed the three yellow duffel bags and the flask and the bottle of vitamins I was holding. Wait, just listen. I said, I don't have much time. I told him about my conversation with Hermes. By the time I was finished, I could hear the screeching in the distance. Patrol harpies picking up on our scent. Percy, Annabeth said, we have to do the quest. We'll get expelled, you know. Trust me, I'm an expert in getting expelled. So, if we fail, there won't be any camp to come back to. Yeah, but you promised Chiron. I promised I'd keep you from danger. I can only do that by coming with you. Tyson can stay behind and tell them I want to go, Tyson said. No! Annabeth's voice sounded close to a panic. I mean, Percy, come on. You know that's impossible. I wondered again why she had such a grudge against Cyclopses. Was there something that she wasn't telling me? Tyson and Anne, her, both looked at me, waiting for me to answer. Meanwhile, the cruise ship was getting further and further away. The thing was, part of me didn't want Tyson along. I spent the last three days in close quarters with the guy, getting teased by the other campers and embarrassed a million times a day, constantly reminded that I was related to him. I needed some space. Plus, I didn't know how much help he'd be or how I could keep him safe. Sure, he was strong, but Tyson was a little kid in Cyclops terms, maybe seven or eight years old, mentally. I could see him freaking out and starting to cry while we were trying to sneak past a monster or something. He'd get us all killed. On the other hand, the sound of the harpies were getting closer. We can't leave him, I decided. Tantalus will punish him for us being gone. Percy, Annabeth said, trying to keep her cool. We're going to Polyphemus's island. Polyphemus is a S-I-K, uh, S-Y-K. She stamped her foot in frustration. As smart as she was, Annabeth was dyslexic too. We couldn't be- we could have been there all night while she tried to spell Cyclops. You know what I mean. Tyson, you can go, I insisted, if he wants to. Tyson clapped his hands. I want to. Annabeth gave me the evil eye, but I guess she could tell I wasn't going to change my mind. Or maybe she just knew that we didn't have time to argue. All right, she said. How do we get to that ship? Hermes said my father would help. Well then, seaweed brain, what are you waiting for? I'd always had a hard time calling on my father or praying or whatever you want to call it. But I stepped into the waves. Um, Dad, I called. How's it going? Percy, Annabeth whispered. We're in a hurry. We need your help, I called a little louder. We need to get to that ship, like, before we're eating and stuff. So, at first, nothing happened. Waves crashed against the shore like normal. The harpies sounded like they were right behind the sand dunes. And then, about 100 meters out to sea, three white lines appeared on the surface. They moved fast towards the shore, like claws ripping through the ocean. As they neared the beach, the surf bust apart, and the heads of three white stallions reared out of the waves. Tyson caught his breath. Fish ponies! He was right. As the creatures pulled themselves into the sand, I saw that there were only horse in their front, and their back halves were silvery fish bodies with glistening scales and rainbow tail fins. 
Hippocampi and Beth said they're beautiful. The nearest one whined in appreciation and nuzzled Annabeth. We'll admire them later. I said, come on. There, a voice screeched behind us. Bad children out of cabins. Snack time for lucky harpies. Five of them were fluttering over the top of the dunes. Plump little hags with pinched faces and talons and feathery wings too small for their bodies. They reminded me of miniature cafeteria ladies who had been crossbreed with dodo birds. They weren't very fast. Thank the gods, but they're vicious if they caught you. Tyson, I said, grab a duffel bag. He had been staring at the hippocampi with his mouth hanging open. Tyson, uh, come on. Annabeth, with Annabeth's help, I got him moving. We gathered the bags and mounted our steed. Poseidon must have known Tyson was one of the passengers because one of the hippocampi was much larger than the other two. Just right for carrying a cyclops. Giddy up, I said. My hippocampus turned and plunged into the waves. Annabeth and Tyson's followed right behind. The harpies cursed at us, wailing for their snacks to come back. But the hippocampus raced over the water at the speed of ski jets. The harpies fell behind us, and soon the shore of Camp Half-Blood was nothing but a dark smudge. I wondered if I'd ever see the place again. But right now, I had other problems. The cruise ship was now looming in front of us, our ride towards Florida and the Sea of the Monsters. Riding the hippocampus was easier than riding a pegasus. We zipped along the wind in our the wind in our faces, speeding through the waves so smoothly and steadily, I hardly needed to hold on at all. As we got closer to the cruise ship, I realized just how huge it was. I felt as though I was looking up at the building of Manhattan. The white hall was at least 10 stories tall, topped with another dozen levels of deck of decks with brightly lit balconies and portholes. The ship's name was painted just above the bowline in black letters, lit with a spotlight. It took me a few seconds to decipher it. Princess Andromeda. Attached to the bow was a huge masthead, a three-story tall woman wearing a Greek chiton sculpt to look as though she was chained to the front of the ship. She was young and beautiful with flowing black hair, but her expression was one of absolute terror. Why would anybody want a screaming princess on the top of their uh, vacation ship? I had absolutely no idea. I remembered the myth about Andromeda and how she was been chained to a rock by her own parents as a sacrifice to the sea monster. Maybe she'd gotten too many Fs on her report card or something? Anyway, this namesake, Perseus, had saved her just in time and turned the sea monster into stone using the head of a Medusa. That Perseus always won. That's why my mom had named me after him, even though he was a son of Zeus and I was a son of Poseidon. The original Perseus was one of the only heroes in the Greek myths who got a happy ending. The others died, betrayed, mauled, mutilated, poisoned, or cursed by gods. Mom had hoped that I would inherit Perseus's luck. Judging by how my life is going so far, I wasn't quite that optimistic. How do we get aboard? Annabeth shouted over the noise of the waves, but the hippocampi seemed to know what we needed. They skimmed along the starboard side of the ship, riding easily through its huge wake, and pulled up next to the service ladder, riveted to the side of the hull. You first, I told Annabeth. She slung her duffel bag over her shoulder and grabbed onto the bottom rung. Once she had hoisted herself up onto the ladder, her hippocampus whined a farewell and dived underwater. Annabeth began to climb. I let her get a few rungs up, then followed her. Finally, it was just Tyson in the water. His hippocampus was treating him to a to 360 aerials and backwards ollies, and Tyson was laughing so hysterically the sound echoed up the side of the ship. Tyson, shh, I said. Come on, big guy. We can't take Rainbow, he asked, his smile fading. I stared at him. 
Rainbow? The hippocampus whined as if he liked the new name. Um, we have to go. I said, Rainbow? Well, he can't climb ladders. Tyson sniffled. He buried his face into the hippocampus's mane. I will miss you, Rainbow. Maybe we can see him again another time, I suggested. Oh, please, Tyson said, perking up immediately. Tomorrow! I didn't make any promises, but I finally had convinced Tyson to say his farewells and grab a hold of the ladder. With a final sad whine, Rainbow the Hippocampus did a backflip and dived into the sea. The ladder led to maintenance decks stacked with yellow lifeboats. There was a set of locked double doors which Annabeth managed to pry open with her knife and a fair amount of cursing in ancient Greek. I figured we'd have to sneak around, being stowaways and all, but after checking a few corridors and peering over a balcony into a huge central promenade lined with closed shops, I began to realize that there was nobody to hide from. I mean, sure, it was in the middle of the night, but we wa- walked half of the length of the boat and met no one. We passed 40 or 50 cabin doors and heard no sound behind any of them. It's a ghost ship, I murmured. No, Tyson said, filled with the strap of his duffel bag. Bad smell. Annabeth frowned. I don't smell anything. Cyclopses are like satyrs, I said. They can smell monsters. Isn't that right, Tyson? He nodded nervously. Now that we were away from Camp Half-Blood, the mist had distorted his face again. Unless I concentrated really hard, it seemed like he had two eyes instead of one. Okay, Annabeth said. So what exactly do you smell? Something bad, Tyson answered. Great, Annabeth murmured, grumbled. That clears it up. We came outside of the swimming pool level. There were rows of empty deck chairs and a bar closed off with a chain of curtains. The water in the pool glowed eerily, sloshing back and forth from the motion of the ship. Above us, fore and aft, were more levels. A climbing wall, a pitch, and putt golf course, a revolving restaurant, but no sign of life. And yet, I sensed something unfamiliar, something dangerous. I had the feeling that if I weren't so tired and burned out from adrenaline from a long night, I might be able to put my name on what was wrong. We need a place to hide. I said, somewhere safe to sleep. Sleep, Annabeth agreed wearily. We explored a few more corridors until we found an empty suit on the ninth level. The door was open, which struck me as weird. There was a basket of chocolate goodies on the table, an iced-down bottle of sparkling cider on the nightstand, and a mint on the pillow with a handwritten note that said, Enjoy your cruise. We opened our duffel bags for the first time and found that Hermes really had thought of everything. Extra clothes, toiletries, camp rations, and an airtight bag full of cash. A leather pouch full of drachmas, he having managed to pack Tyson's oilcloth with his tools and metal bits, and Annabeth's cap of invisibility, which made them feel a lot better. I'll be next door, Annabeth said. You guys don't drink or eat anything. You think this place is enchanted? She frowned. I don't know. Something isn't right. Just, just be careful. We locked our doors. Tyson crashed on the couch. He tinkered for a few minutes on his metalwork project, which he still wouldn't show me. But soon enough, he was yawning. He wrapped up the oilcloth and passed out. I lay on the bed and stared out the porthole. I thought I heard voices in the, out in the hallway, like whispering. I knew that couldn't be it. We walked all over the ship and hadn't seen anybody. But the voices kept me awake. They reminded me of my trip to the underworld, the way that the spirits of the dead sounded as they drifted back past. 
Finally, my weariness got the best of me and I fell asleep and I had my worst dream yet. I was standing in the cavern on the edge of an enormous pit, a place I knew way too well, the entrance to Tartarus, and I recognized the cold laugh that echoed from the darkness below. If it isn't the young hero, the voice was like a knife blade scraping across stone on his way to another victory. I wanted to shout at Kronos to leave me alone. I wanted to draw Riptide and strike him down, but I couldn't move. I couldn't, and even if I could, how could I kill something that had already been destroyed, chopped into pieces, and cast into eternal darkness? Don't let me stop you, the Titan said. Perhaps this time, when you fail, you'll wonder if it's worthwhile slaving for the gods. How exactly has your father shown his appreciation lately? His laughter filled the cavern, and suddenly the scene changed. It was a different cave. Grover's bedroom prison in Cyclops' lair. Grover was sitting in the loom in his soiled wedding dress, madly unraveling the threads of an unfinished bridal train. Honey pie, the monster shouted from behind the boulder. Grover yelped and began weaving the threads back together. The room shook as the boulder was pushed aside. Looming in the doorway was a cyclops so huge it made Tyson look vertically challenged. He had jagged yellow teeth and gnarled hands as big as my whole body. He wore a faded purple t-shirt that had the, said, World Sheep Expo 2001. It must have been at least five meter t- meters tall. But the most startling thing was his enormous milky eye, scarred and webbed with counteracts. If he wasn't completely blind, he had to be pretty darn close. What are you doing? The monster demanded. Nothing! The Grover said in his Feltesto voice, just weaving my bridal train, as you can see. The Cyclops stuck one hand into the room and groped around until he found the loom. He pawed at the cloth. It hasn't gotten any longer. Oh, um, yes it has, dearest. See, I've added at least three centimeters. Too many delays, the monster bellowed. He sniffed the air. You smell good, like goats. Oh, Grover folks forced a weak giggle. Do you like it? It's H. de Chavert. I wear it just for you. Mm. The Cyclops bared his pointed teeth. Good enough to eat. Oh, you're such a flirt. No more delays. But dear, I'm not done. Tomorrow. No, no, no. Ten more days. Five. Well, oh, well, seven then, if you must insist. Seven. That's less than five, right? Certainly. Oh, yes. The, gr- the monster grumbled, still not happy with his deal, but he left Grover to his weaving and ro- rolled the boulder back into his place. Grover closed his eyes and took a shaky breath, trying to calm his nerves. Hurry, Percy, he muttered. Please, please, please. I woke up to the ship's whistle and a voice on the intercom. Some guy with an Australian accent who sounded way, way too happy. Good morning, passengers. We will be at sea all day today. Excellent weather for the poolside membo party. Don't forget million dollar bingo at the Kraken Lounge at one o'clock. And for our special guest, disemboweling practice on the Pompeii. I sat up in bed. What did he say? Tyson groaned half asleep. He was lying face down on the couch, his feet so far over the edge, they were in the bathroom. The monster said, bowling practice. I hoped he was right. But then there was an urgent knock on the suite's interior door. Annabeth stuck her head in, and her blonde hair was a rat's nest. Disemboweling practice? Once we were all dressed, we ventured out into the ship and were surprised to see other people. A dozen senior citizens were heading to breakfast, a dad taking his kids to the pool for a morning swim. Crew members in crisp white uniforms strolled the deck, tipping their hats to the passengers. 
nobody asked who we were. Nobody paid us much attention. But there was something wrong. As the family swimmers passed us, the dad told us kids, we're on a cruise, we're having fun. Yes, the three kids said in incisions, their fate their expressions blank we're having fun we'll swim into the pool they wandered off good morning a crew member told us his eyes glazed we're all enjoying ourselves aboard the princess andromeda have a nice day he drifted away percy this is weird annabeth whispered they're all in some type of trance then we passed a cafeteria and saw first monster it was a hellhound a black mastiff with its front paws up in the buffet counter and its muzzle buried in the scrambled eggs. It must have been young because it was small compared to most, no bigger than a grizzly bear. Still, my blood turned cold. I'd almost gotten killed by one of those. The weird thing was, a middle-aged couple was standing in the buffet quarry right next to the devil dog, patiently waiting their turn for eggs. They didn't seem to notice anything out of the ordinary. Not hungry anymore, Tyson murmured. Before Annabeth and I could reply, a reptilian voice came down from the hallway. Six more joined yesterday. Annabeth gestured frantically towards the nearest hiding place, the woman's room, and all three of us ducked inside. I was so freaked out, it didn't even occur to me to be embarrassed. Something, or more like two somethings, slithered past the restroom door, making sounds like sandpaper across the carpet. Yes! A psycho reptilian voice said, He draws them. Soon we will be strong. The thing slithered into the cafeteria with a cold hissing that might have been a snake laughter. Annabeth looked at me. We have to get out of here. You think I want to be in the girls' restroom? I mean, the ship, Percy. We have to get off the ship. Smells bad, Tyson agreed. And dogs ate all the eggs. Annabeth is right. We must leave the restroom and the ship. I shuddered. If Annabeth and Tyson were actually agreeing about something, I figured it was best to listen. Then I heard another voice outside, one that chilled me worse than any monsters. It's only a matter of time. Don't push me, Argus. It was Luke, beyond a doubt. I could never forget his voice. I'm not pushing you, another guy growled, his voice deeper and angrier than Luke's. I'm just saying, if this gamble doesn't pay off, it'll pay off. Luke snapped. They'll take the bait. Now come on, we've got to get to this admirality suite and check out the casket. The voices receded down the corridor. Tyson whimpered, leave now. Annabeth and I exchanged looks and became into a silent agreement. We can't, I told Tyson. We have to find out what Luke's up to. Annabeth agreed. And if possible, we're going to try to beat him up and bind him in chains and drag him to Mount Olympus.